Welcome to Talking Success with Asma Mir in partnership with Withers, the international law firm. Benevolence and consciousness are two things that are very important to me. The most rewarding thing is pulling people up, helping them realize their potential. We are part of a much larger harmonic. And when you see it that way as yourself, as this like little tiny being on this little speck of dirt, you go, that's a humbling thought. I'm Asma Mir. This series, we're hearing from a wide array of guests, all sharing what they've learned from life's curveballs. Because we all face moments of crisis, it's how we respond that makes all the difference. Success is probably the fact that you deserve your colleagues, your partners. You work with the colleagues that you deserve. This is a very different society here where the group is more important than the individual. Today, I'm speaking to Vincent Thébault. Although he's originally from France, Vincent began his career in Tokyo, Japan, working for Bank Indo-Suez. This was in 1990, and although he returned to France in 1992 and began rising through the ranks of Credit Agricole Bank, he returned to Japan in 1998. After a six-year stint as CEO of Credit Agricole Securities Japan, he's now a managing partner for a climate impact fund. Vincent, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for having me today. I'm going to begin with one of our big questions. It's quite unusual, so brace yourself. What would your superhero name be and why? Then the answer would be uh, quite unusual as well, probably. Uh, Without hesitation, my superhero is Miyamoto Musashi. He's uh, the greatest samurai of all times. Reading about his life and his writings and so on, his art, looking at his art as well, it has inspired my life a lot. And basically, I'm living outside of the work on, uh, on his path and uh, embracing all the, um, all the Japanese culture uh, from the art side, uh, spiritual side. So that's, that's the biggest source of inspiration for me, Miyamoto Musashi. Everybody should read about his life. And is he the one who inspired you to go to Japan? Yes, clearly. Um, I've been practicing martial arts since seven in France, I was practicing Zazen and reading everything I could find about the Japanese culture. And one day I, I wrote the, the book of Yoshikawa uh, on the life of Miyamoto Musashi. And I just, you know, I stayed three days at home, read it a few times, closed the book and decided to go to Japan. My life was in Japan. That's it. I could find in this book a bit of all the, the Japanese culture in terms of Buddhism, Shintoism, martial arts, samurai way, uh, the way uh, this gentleman has studied um, all kind of activities in, in, in the society. He has been working with some businessmen. He has been staying, studying some geisha, how they work. He has been studying arts. He has created probably the most efficient way to, to fight in those days with his uh, two-sword style that I am practicing now. I have been practicing as well some school of his opponents. I have had some luck to be invited in some of the dojos where a lot of big samurai came. I mean, the, the god of the, the Bushido in Japan is in, a, is in a Kashima Jingu in Ibaraki. This is where I am practicing still. And a lot of things uh, I do practice then uh, with a monk who became a friend with exactly the same Rinzai Zen school of uh, Musashi. It's, it's quite amazing. One of another friend who has a mountain in Kyushu where there is a tomb of Miyamoto Musashi. One of my clients was from Okayama where Miyamoto Musashi was born. I mean, all the life has been by coincidence. I'm just, you know, encountering people linked with his life. 
It's quite scary, actually. <laughs> but it's amazing. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so you had a kind of idea of what you wanted to get from Japan, what you thought you would find in Japan. When you went there, what was the reality? What did you find? Well, that was. this is very funny because I came to find a martial art master who would take me as a disciple. And I came to find a Zen monk who would teach me Zen. And I arrived in Narita in Japan in the night in 1990 at the top of the bubble economy where everything was about industrial fight. Everything was gray. Everything was full of businessmen all looking the same and uh, buildings with a lot of lights and bar and restaurants at every floors, completely opposite of where I came from and completely opposite of the image of Japan I had, which was wooden houses, kimono, uh, you know. And it was a bit, uh, bit of a shock at the beginning. And the culture as well, uh, the way the society moves, uh, this was not explained in the books. <laughs> and the way at work, the, 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 the life at the office, the way people communicate, everything has been a big shock, yes. But it was interesting. Another challenge, I mean, mm. from what I expected. I am sure. Now, in terms of your career, you spent a large chunk of your career so far with Credit Agricole. What was it that made you leave a very high-flying position there to seek new challenges. Did you feel that you had achieved everything you wanted to or did you have a calling elsewhere? Yes, it's, it's also a very interesting question. I, I mean, at Great Agricole, I arrived as a trainee and I spent 28 years of my life there. I could have continued with Credit Agricole, but I had to leave Japan. And I was disciple of one very... I ranked a judo master who passed away two years before, and I was accepted as a disciple of a master of samurai family, but who was getting old as well. And I was very close to get all the last teaching to receive my diploma to teach and so on. And basically, I wanted to stay close to this master because I have to receive all this culture and transmit it again. And the career at, the, at that stage was less important mm. in my life. And I felt I could help the Japanese investors better getting out of the sell side and move to the buy side. Because around the career, I arrived as a derivative trader, prop trader. I've seen the, you know, just after the Asian crisis, 1998, I've seen the, the first negative rates, the zero rate interest policy, a lot of things, Lehman shock and, and so on. So stayed next to the master till the end and helped the clients better was very important for me. Tell me about the moment, if there was a moment, I mean, maybe it was, it was a gradual thing when you realized that you wanted to get involved in the whole area of the environment. You know, this is something we've been talking about for, for decades now, but now there seems to be a real push. It seems to be a real moment from where I'm sitting anyway. When did you think... I have to do something. I have to get involved. First of all, I've been always close to nature by, you know, family, uh, martial art, the Japanese culture and everything. But I was working in Credit Agricole, which was a very large cooperative bank in Europe, probably the largest, close to the farming uh, world. And we've seen the need after the Lehman shock to, you know, do something with, with uh, like some kind of ethic and, and sustainability in finance as well, and close to the real world. And Credit Agricole was the first, the founder of the of the green bond principles. And we started to innovate in that field in the very early stages. We've been selling in Japan since probably around 2011 already. 
and the, the, the Japanese market was already very sensitive to all we can do that makes the world a little bit better. So for me, it was just completely natural being in a green bank because Crete Agricole is still the green bank and writing the first pages of the history of the green bonds and all the green finance, green loans and so on. Um, there was a logic to, to keep pushing for that. Also, uh, for a while, we've seen a lot of people trying to follow the trend on launching all kinds of products that we call now greenwashing. And it's a good thing that the regulator is cracking down a bit of some of the products that have been passed to the retail that, uh, that, that go a little bit too far compared to the real, real impact. I met some friends in the, in the Spanish community who are like really experts in this, in this field, in this industry. And I realized so much money can be made in the renewable energy for the investors. And you can easily do some good for the planet, bring value to your investors, whatever the type of profile, the risk profile they need, you know, double-digit return or single-digit but very stable cash flow, very you know, long-term for sticky investors, like for like, you know, pension funds or whatever. Mm. And I realized this asset class is just extremely strategic because we need it. It is... Cheaper, for example, if you look at the solar renewable energy, it is cheaper now than fossil. It's all natural and it's a win-win for everybody. So I thought we should push a little bit more in that field. I started my career as a, as a software engineer and software developer and I've been always close to technology and I was studying blockchain and I realized how blockchain is another industrial revolution. And this blockchain is going to need more and more energy you know, for the encryption. So if we do nothing, the cloud itself is going to really destroy Earth faster because it consumes a lot of energy. And so we need to do something in terms of renewable energy. And we could use and leverage on the technology to prove as well to the investor the impact on the environment using this blockchain on, on you know, AI and all the you know, state-of-the-art technologies. So basically, I just ended up with a new project. I spoke to some friends in the industry to link the renewable energy plant with the blockchain, the technology, and we could start, you know, paving the way towards a real innovation, but something at the opposite of the greenwashing, mm. something with a real impact that the, you can measure with the machines and the client can check on his mobile phone and you feel good about it because you can see on a daily basis how much you produce this energy, how much um, carbon emission you have avoided, and it's done by machine. It's, you know, tamper-proof, all automated, there is no room for any fake or self-reported black box type of things. There is a lot of opportunities to work more on this kind of asset class of the renewable energy, which is completely decorrelated from the economy, from the stock market, whatever. Even if you have a complete internet blackout, still the sun will rise and your plant will create energy. And same for the wind. For the biomass, it's a bit different because you need a bit of human intervention. But um, when you look at the uh, hybrid type of energy with a clean hydrogen, with a solar, the wind and everything, there are so many things we can do and so, so much innovation coming that there is a way to create nice products for the clients. And that's what I'm doing now, by the way. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear it. It sounds very optimistic, which is we need a bit of optimism right now. Um, so, Vasa, the street behind you, it's, what, what happens on the street behind you? I can hear music. I think it's Friday night already in Tokyo. So, we all, I mean, a lot of um, 
cars and so on have loud speakers in Japan. Yeah, Friday night. <laughs> it started. And you're in the office. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm in the, yes, I am in the office. You're a hardworking man. I'm sure you are aware this podcast is all about kind of defining moments and how we respond to those moments in a successful way. And I wonder what Japanese culture has taught you about understanding these kind of key ideas of success, failure and make or break moments. First of all, in Japanese culture is teaching you about looking for the beauty of nature, respect nature, and always the search for aesthetic and feel with your body rather than pure, you know, what we can find in the West, more like logical or Cartesian type of analysis. So in Japan, I found this, you know, way to feel things. I wouldn't go too far about feeling energy, blah, blah, everything about martial arts, but actually you do need to feel opponents. You do need to feel the energy fields of the opponent to progress in the martial art at a certain level. And I found that. I found a way to connect this. So Japan has, has taught me about the fact that humans have to adapt to nature. This is a very different society here where the group is more important than the individual. You see so many athletes in the Olympics or whatever who just cry because they failed. They only get the silver or the bronze medal because only thing important for them is a gold medal in Japan, just be the number one. And, and you see the European athletes who just jump and, you know, are so happy to get whatever medal. Uh, so the, the, the Japanese culture is a little bit different here in terms of success or, or failure. Uh, for me, what I got in Japan that I didn't have in when I was working in, 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 in France is that there is really uh, some, how to say, reward or energy uh, working with a team. And you move really more as a team and the team protects you. And maybe if we can, we can say that success is probably the fact that you, you deserve your colleagues, your partners, you work with the colleagues that you deserve and you get at the end the client that you deserve and the clients do protect you here in Japan. I mean, they take care of you. It's very difficult to start a transaction, but once you start being recognized and have a relation, it's for life, basically, if you're a professional. Uh, this helps you to really be yourself and um, enjoy every 15 minutes you spend at work trying to, you know, bring value and have fun, you know, pushing the limits and uh, making dream dream come true, but being yourself. Japan has taught me to how to enjoy the moment through the, probably the Japanese culture. When you do Zazen, the past or the future doesn't count. Just try to feel the present. And when you are in a fight, you just feel now with your heart what's going on around. And this helps you to connect to higher energies and be happy. And the fact you are happy at work or the clients see you working with passion with your team, they want to be part of it. They give you business. So if you work professionally with discipline and having fun with your team, figures come, no problem. Success is coming. So this is what I found in Japan and didn't have in Europe where there is more individual competition. Um. I'm really keen to find out what is next for you in the world of sustainable investments. It's very clear where we have to go. It's very clear where we have to contribute and where the, the industry needs to go. We, we speak a lot about the green bonds, the, the, the green finance. And so on. It suddenly became very trendy. And for me, it's a bit of a surprise because we've been working on it for the last 10 years. What is important is the sustainability of the, of the products and the monitoring of the impact. And behind that, a duty for all of us to act 
to protect the biodiversity behind the climate. So it's time to act all together. And I think we have the tools now with the technology to do it. And to me, the, the renewable energy is a fantastic sector to, to contribute to the world and to the investors. One day, a friend of mine uh, basically created a family office and we discussed about you know, the, the way they're going to manage and, and the, the strategy around the family office. And I realized, coming from the sales side, I realized how important it is to manage your wealth in a sustainable way for the next generations. And I found it extremely healthy. And I think with the real assets around the renewable energy, you have an opportunity to really bring or contribute to this, you know, sustainability for the planet, for the wealth of the investors. And there is so much need in Asia as well to protect the, the climate and the biodiversity. Then we are, we are the best place to, to do something. And there is so much cash in Japan to be invested. Well, I just have to make the bridge, you know. It sounds very easy, but actually <laughs> it takes a lot of energy. But this is where we're going to go. I just want to uh, finish with um, by asking you a couple of quick fire questions. Okay, so the first question is, what's the skill that you use most in your work? I, I feel from my heart. I listen from my heart and I decide with my heart. This is what martial arts taught me. Mm. Um, do you have a favorite time of the work day? The best time of the day is when you meet with the clients and you can listen to their needs and the idea come to really make the product they need and they get so excited about it. This is really magic, a magic moment. I love it. <laughs> I can hear that. What advice do you wish you had listened to sooner? Uh, take a little bit more care of the internal politics on your management because I just only focused on delivering on the battlefield, listen to the clients, protect my teams. I did not care enough about the internal things and sometimes it's wise to spend a bit of time with your internal clients. Do not ignore your internal clients. It can make your success a bit faster for the young people coming to the to the market. Interesting. Now, apart from the book that you mentioned at the beginning of the interview, is there another book that has been incredibly important to you? Oh, yes. There is a, a book from uh, actually the Jesuit uh, priest, Mr. Kadowaki, about the, the Zen and the Bible, who was explaining how to practice as a Christian through the Zen. And I, I actually met later a priest in, in Japan who was practicing the Zen as well. Um, this link between the uh, West, Western world and the, you know, Asia, through the meditation, Buddhism and so on. I mean, yeah, this book was Zen on the Bible from Kadowaki was inspiring for me as well. Feel from your body, link the spiritual with the body through the meditation. And finally, uh, Vincent, what qualities do you admire in other people? Wow, that is, there are so many <laughs> various type of people and qualities to admire. Oh, this is a very tricky question. <laughs> In Japanese, we say akarui genki. Take things positively, be constructive, keep fighting, finding joy in the challenge and keep moving together. This is one. Another one is capacity to listen. And the most important anyway, however, is the like, you know, internal beauty, the heart of the person. This is most important. 
That's fantastic. Vincent Thébault, thank you so much for speaking to me. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Well, I love talking to Vincent. He was very chilled. He had a really pure message. You know, he talked about listening to your heart and do everything connected with your heart, which is a kind of great message to live by. And also, most importantly, he was very optimistic. And that was really great to hear. Thank you for listening to Talking Success. You can find out more about Withers on their website, withersworldwide.com. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard, please follow us on your podcast app to get updates on the latest episodes or leave us a review. Next week, I'll be speaking to Neha Narkade, founder of major tech firm Confluent, about changing the world of technology, both in terms of software and making the sector more inclusive. Talking Success is a Feast Collective production. The producer is Leo Schick. The executive producer is Kate Taylor. And I'm Asma Mir. Goodbye.